will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Welcome to Leverage Addicts, the podcast for investors looking to maximize returns through leverage. Join host, seasoned mortgage professional and real estate enthusiast, Blandon Lerm, as we explore property investing strategies and learn how to navigate the market to build new wealth. Welcome back to another episode of Leverage Addict Podcast, where we dive into the world of property investing and wealth creation. I'm your host, Blandon, and today we are bringing back a special guest, Sally McCormack. Sally is a seasoned property investor and property coach, known for her expertise in property trading. Today, we're going to dive into a property trade that she recently completed. We're going to be breaking down numbers and discussing the process. Whether you're a seasoned investor or just starting out, this episode will provide valuable insights and strategies to help you navigate the world of property trading. So let's dive in. Welcome, Sally. Thanks, Brendan. Nice to be on. It's great to have you on the podcast again. Can you share a little bit about your recent property trade, the just the high-level numbers, and then you can share a little bit about what got you motivated to pursue this opportunity? As I've said before, I had been a coach with Asset Lab, and we had such big numbers of clients at Asset Lab. It took me out of the game of trading quite a bit because I was spending a lot of time with that one-on-one coaching with the clients. So... Towards the end of last year, I was starting to get my time back and reconnecting with a lot of the agents. So I was going to see lots of properties, offering and on auctions and offering and non-properties, probably started about October, November last year. Ended up going to have a look at this property just before Christmas, just before it went live on the market. And it was an agent that has sold properties for me before. And it was quite a quite a slow burn, which I think a lot of people think that buying a property is a really quick process. For this one, it was not. The vendors had very high expectations. It was a 900 site, ceased estate, and it was the sun selling, and he wanted to sell it at auction to see what the market would see the price at. So I did my normal questioning with the agent, you know, would they accept a pre-auction offer? And at that point, he said, no, he's really above market where the market sees the property. So it really needs to be conditioned to come down the market sees it which was fine. There were a few things on the property that made me concerned. So I just wanted to get a property file, which I got and had a look at. Ended up going to auction and that was months later, uh, February, I believe. And then it got passed in an auction because again, the vendor just couldn't see where the market saw it. Ended up putting in an offer at multi-offer. There were seven in the multi-offer and ranging kind of from low 600s all the way up to in the 700s. I was sitting at 640. 640 was my multi-offer price. And I went cash unconditional with seven days due diligence. Uh, sorry, seven days to settle. So really quick settlement. All the, mm-hmm. the offers that were in the 700s were all developers or buy and hold investors that wanted to do long settlements, you know, six months up to a year. And the guy didn't really want that. He wanted to retire and mm-hmm. he was looking for the quicker money. And obviously there's a lot of word in the market that, those longer settlements, even though you're getting more money, might end up not settling at the end of the day. Yeah. So I've got so, this property on, on screen here. And if you guys are watching the YouTube, you'll be able to see some of the pictures. So Sally, like this one here, because it's got a more narrow driveway, I guess you do sort of fend off a lot of developers because they're probably needing a bit of permission <laughs> from next door if they want to build anything significant down this piece of land. So Actually, it works out pretty good for you. Yeah, that's right. And obviously, it wasn't ideal with it having a shared driveway. I don't particularly like that. 
up for this property, it had a lot of bonuses. It was a really large three-bedroom home. It was brick and a brick property and it had two garages and one garage had already been converted to be a utility room, which in South Auckland, uh, utility rooms are quite sought after as another sleeping space. They're not technically supposed to be slept in, but they're built really well. And this was a versatile garage, so it um, had a nice concrete slab and everything else. So yeah, then those negotiations actually took seven days and yeah. we were pretty firm on our purchase price at that 640. He really wanted us to come up to the 700. I stayed firm. I went up $4,000, so I went up to six forty-four. But obviously, yeah. the vendor wanted a bit of a win. So for him, he came back and ended up saying, okay, I'll go unconditional. If instead of settling in seven days, you'll settle in five. Yeah. Which is nothing, really. So we agreed to that, and he went unconditional, which was awesome. It meant a very quick turnaround for us in terms of getting tradies in, but that was all right. And we purchased the property. So it just goes to show that, um, you know, it just stays to, to stays, pays to stay firm on your numbers at the end of the day, like I've said before. You don't yeah. want to do this and make no money. And it was a really big reno. And the fact that he had, I just want to say 644 for this property is, it's amazing. <laughs> Well, remember, there's a lot more traders back in the market now, but back then there were still a lot of nervous people. Yeah. And so for me, it comes down to knowing what your end value is and where the market's going to see that property. And unfortunately, mm. there wasn't much selling. So in terms of gaining end values was actually really difficult at the time. Yeah. And so while I was sure it would sell at that price, you know, I wouldn't have been surprised if I had to drop my price to sell it, which is why I always like to do a really top quality reno and get really good agents onto selling it out the other side. Yeah, so give me like the high level. Basically, you bought it for 644. Mm -hmm. What was the rental cost? What was the associated sales cost and then in sale value and, and roughly what was the net profit? Yeah, so you've got it there in front of you. So I'll just go through that. Um, ideally, we wanted it at 640, but for $4,000, we weren't going to miss out on a deal. It was a... It had been empty for the last five years. So there was a lot of stuff that needed to be done with this property. It had squatters. I did do a meth test on it and it was fine. Our pre-purchase reno cost was 85000 Our holding costs, uh, we were at $40,000 for our holding costs at the beginning. And we were expecting that the sale price would be around 875000 So the real numbers, once we did it, our reno cost came in at 90000 so $5,000 more. You know, the outside took a lot more money than what we anticipated, which I probably should have gathered that. We did add a second bathroom to just put us above the market. Like I said, it was a shared driveway. So what I really wanted to put out was a superior property to what you could buy. Most of the full sites were three-bedroom, one-bathroom. So this one we could put out as a three-bedroom and a utility with two bathrooms. So that we were hoping that we were in the same price point as a three-bedroom house on its own driveway, but for this you got more house. So we ended up, I ended up putting this out to a few agents and telling them what was coming up. They, one particular agent had a buyer that their pre-approval was coming up and they weren't sure if they would get it renewed. So they really wanted to buy something. They were capped at that 860 and yes. they ended up borrowing money from some family just to get up to where we wanted. They offered 870 was the highest we could get them to. That was five grand less than our end value. And I know some people would say, well, if you went to market, could you have got more? And potentially, yes, but it's a gamble. And at the end mm -hmm. of the day, I'm very much about taking the 
money if it's there on the table moving on it's all an opportunity cost so mm. if you can if you can sell this deal and sell it quickly move on to the next deal then you keep making money and for this was a joint venture with somebody else so mm. our profit with our numbers uh with you know the the sale price being 870 the rental cost being 90,000 the holding cost being what ended up being 30 ended up with a just a little over $75,000 of profit. So we walked away with almost $38,000 each, you know, which is not to be sneezed at. The whole process from settlement to settlement took us 11 weeks. So, so not a bad so payday. Do you mind just explaining or expanding a little bit more on why it was a JV? Because my understanding of your situation is that you could quite easily do this on your own. Like, why would you do this with someone else? What's the advantage there? I like to use my own money to pay down debt on my holds or to buy more holds. So if I've got my money tied up in a trade, then I can't further my position because at the end of the day, true wealth is created with your long-term buy and holds. Yep. You know, trading is a, is a really nice lump sum profit, but at the end of the day, that's not going to make you rich. Buy and holds are going to make you rich. And so mm -hmm. for me, if I can utilize my money in a better way and I can utilize other people's money in this way, it's that leveraging of position. So if I can use other people's money, then I can go further and faster. Yeah. So if you just had this deal, say, for example, and you did it with your own money, would you be able to do many of these deals? Or like if you do it at this level where you're doing JVs and doing a profit share, putting less money or no money down, are you able to execute on more? Is that one of the reasons as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For me, it's my job as well. And so, and I love trading. Like I'm very passionate about property and I love turning something like this one, especially when you see the before and afters, it was unlivable. No first home buyer would ever look at something like that. And that is exactly who ended up buying this property was a first home buyer. And yeah, if I'm not, if I'm able to use other people's money, then I can do as many of these as I want. You know, I've often got people that message me and say, look, Sally, I love what you do. I'd really love it if I could pair up with you and have somebody with your experience that could do. Because I find the reno, I mm. manage, uh, sorry, I find the deal, I manage the reno. And yeah. the person that's funding this deal and getting half the profit just has to sit there and, and watch it all happen, which is a pretty great scenario for them. Yeah. That's and so I could do as many of these as I wanted, you know, like there's times that I've got five, six, seven renos on the go at one time. That's really awesome. So you're also known to be quite the project manager. You project managed <laughs> my trade as well. Um, me and JP and Mike, we did one through you. And sometimes, because there's so many uh, stakeholders, right? You've got contractors, real estate agents, potential buyers. How do you make sure that you can coordinate all of these parties throughout the trade and, and make sure that you get a fast outcome? Because in a trade, time is money. What are some key tips on project management do you have? To stay off the tools is number one. Stay off the tools. Stay off the tools. If you are trying to save money and do it yourself, you think, so for me, let me run, run you through my first week on a reno. So day one is to get demo crew in. And I'm usually on site. So I normally have two or three guys there just pulling everything out of the house. If I was doing that myself, if there's two or three guys there, then that's going to take me two or three days. So therefore, it's going to delay my reno by double to triple. I'm normally there on the first day meeting with the tradies, getting quotes and things like that. So that's going to take my time. Day two. I get the plumber in and again, that's one or two guys for one day. So again, if I tried to do something like that myself and remembering that I don't have the same experience as a skill tradie, that's not going to take me the short amount of time that it takes them. It's going to take me even longer. The sparky yeah. comes in and does the pre-wire, the builder comes for somewhere between two and five days, depending on how much building is needing to be done. Again, if I'm doing that, it's going to take me longer. If I pick up a paintbrush, 
you know, my painters come with a big crew of guys. They're there with somewhere between four and six guys. There's usually one in every room. If I'm trying to do that myself, instead of turning it around like this property, we turned around in, I think it was six and a half weeks. Mm. If I was trying to do that myself, it's going to take me far longer. So by being a project manager, it means that I'm getting the right people in. They're going to do it so that I've got a really high product out the other side. And it frees me up for making sure that that whole process runs smoothly. What I do is I make sure that everybody is there when they need to be. I do the shopping, make sure they've got everything that they need to do so that, you know, they're not jumping off site to get what they need to get. And the other thing is, um, in terms of being a trader, my main job is sourcing the next deal. And so if I'm hands-on in a trade, then I'm not out there in the market and actually seeing what's going on. And for me, that's really important as well. It's really trying to find that next deal and understanding where the market sees that trade that I'm working on to put it out the other side. Or, and as you know, Brandon, I'm very open with talking to the clients that I'm working on their houses and really talking to you guys about what you should be doing to make sure that you're going to get that maximum sale price out the other side for the projects that I'm working on for you guys as well. Yeah. I remember there were like small details that you would like leave multiple keys for different contractors around the house. And (laughs) yeah, because someone might lose their key, you know, so there's so much details that go on with the project management to just speed things up. Now, Sally, you're someone that's always learning. And even though you've done hundreds of trades now, what, was the key lesson with this one? Were there some learnings that you got out of this particular trade that you would go, oh, that's actually something I can do next time and I can do it better? Yeah, so I definitely like to push the boundaries and for your property was one of the first properties that I've ever added a second bathroom to. Yours was fairly easy though because we only needed one extra plumbing fitting. So for this one, I was creating a whole new bathroom. So I was really excited to do that and to see how council would do it. I really kept a really tight grasp on the timeframes and the costs and the whole process. Mm -hmm. And so for my clients, what I've done is really schooled them through that whole process so that when they're looking at a deal now, they've got that extra information and tools in their tool belt so that when they're adding a second bathroom, they know exactly what to do. So for trading, it's really about making sure that you're a step above the rest because it's high competition. You've got a lot of traders in there. And so if we can always be learning at ways that we can add value to a property that maybe someone else isn't seeing might put us the step above the rest. And so for this property, it was definitely around that second bathroom, probably a, a second smaller one. And it wasn't so much of a learning, but I knew with that property, the guy, the previous owner was a really avid gardener. Mm. And that I could see that once you decluttered the garden, it would be a really nice established garden. And that's one thing we don't get with our trades a lot of the time. Often it just, and same as yours, you know, we struggled with that at the end of it. When you looked at the property, it didn't really look like much from the outside. It really needed to have some lawn and some gardens and things like that. Whereas this Mm. one, it had it already. Yeah, look at that. It looks so good. It was a forest. But then on the same token, and I really should have shown you the backyard photos because he had planted pretty much a little hedged maze at the backyard. That was really hard to make look good. And the photos were photoshopped 
to make it look like grass. That was real grass. Uh, so down there, that bottom mm. photo did not yeah. look like that. That was a lot of dirt back there. So yeah. by selling it off market as well, you know, those buyers had the vision of what it could look like, which yeah. was good. Yeah, that's something you talk about a lot when you were giving me advice was that buyers can't visualize. You have to help them. And by doing the pictures, like putting a bit more effort in the renovations, making sure that you stage it, like those things will make the house sell. Especially in the market that you were working in, I kind of feel like we're getting back to a point where you could be a little bit, you can let things go a little bit more on your reno. I fully believe in staging. Buyers Mm. really can't visualize what a room can look like. And when you put staging in there, it feels like a home. And there's there's certain markets that you can cut corners and markets that you can't. And when you're in a tougher market, you really need to make sure that you're putting a good quality product out so that your property goes to the top of the buyer's lists. Now, that's really awesome. So in summary, we basically bought this for around 640000 644 and we sold it at eight seventy before you finished the renovation. That took around 12 weeks, was it? Yeah, 11 weeks from settlement to settlement. Yeah, that's really awesome. So in 12 weeks... Uh, the net profit from the deal after GST and all your holding costs was around 75000 You did this deal as a joint venture, as a half-half, so you don't have to put uh, or you put little money or no money down. And so you can manage the project, use your expertise, and then give a return to your investor as well. So all in all, it was a win-win. And I wanted to just bring this up right now because it was a good opportunity. So Sally and I and a couple more investors have been behind the scenes working on a new coaching program where if you guys are sort of needing the extra help on finding properties or doing trades, and especially even if you're already a buy and hold investor and you run out of servicing, but you've got that revolving credit, you're looking for joint ventures, this could be something for you. And we're been planning uh, for a couple of months now, and that is soon to come. So stay tuned for that. You know, if you're interested to know more, just message me if you're listening to this. That concludes our conversation with Sally today, sharing her most recent trade. We hope you guys found this episode insightful, informative, and providing you guys, you know, always more valuable content around properties. So if you enjoyed this episode and found value, I only ask for one thing, and that is to share this episode with one person that would benefit from this. Thanks again, Sally. Thanks for jumping on. And um, I'll see you guys in another episode.